0: At loveisrael.org. That's one word loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: Our theme today is that of judgment. Judgment comes from God, and judgment has only a positive outcome. Judgment destroys evil, judgment puts things in order and judgment brings about the vindication for the people of God. Sometimes it's appropriate for us to pray for judgment, that there comes a time where God's mercy, His grace, is rescinded. The people are rebellious. They are unrepentant, and therefore, it's time to move forward. And this is what we see in this eighth chapter of the book of Esther. We saw at the conclusion of last week God's judgment being poured out in in the death of wicked Haman. His wicked plan was exposed. The king did not find, find favor in this man and in his desires. Therefore, based upon the counsel of a wise man, Harbona, the king responded by hanging Haman. And we ended last week by saying hanging was just not a punishment, not just a symbol of judgment, but also one of shame. And we talked about that principle when we pursue our desires, our goals, our wants. In the end, we're going to find defeat and we're going to be placed in shame. But when we are sensitive to the instructions of God, seeking them, and committed to carrying them out, also looking for God's provision to help us to do his will, God he will provide, God will lead, God will move, and we will see in the end the fulfillment of his will in our life, through our life, as we carry out God's glorious will. And let me just emphasize just what I said, that the will of God is glorious. There is no other way to demonstrate glory, to witness glory, unless we are connected to the perfect will of God. And it's only his word, it's only the illumination of his spirit to his word, that gives us the insight, the revelation whereby we can discern his will and move in light of it. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Esther and chapter 8. The book of Esther and chapter 8. Now, this is not an exceedingly long chapter, but we're gonna divide it into two parts because I want to focus significantly on the second half next week. In this session, we're going to look at the first eight verses. And again, the theme is judgment, but we need to see judgment in the sense of vindication and God moving to continue to bring about to establish his order, his will for his people. Esther chapter 8 and verse 1. We begin with that familiar phrase "Beyom hahu," a term of judgment earlier on, we saw that phrase HaHu," that night, and that was a unique night, a night that God began to move, that God began to turn things around, and now we have seen god 's judgment upon the life of haman, but here. That judgment is going to manifest itself by putting things into order. And eventually, through the order of God, the vindication of the people of God. So we read in verse 1, On that day, the king gave, and this is King Ahashverosh, he gave to Esther the queen the house of Hamad, meaning all of his possessions, His inheritance, his wealth, all that he had now belonged to Queen Esther. The king, he is in power. His word is law, but we see a principle. See, we ought to always read God's word for learning spiritual principles. And what we saw was this. Haman was an exceedingly wealthy man. He had people under his authority. What he desired, for the most part, he got. And the fact that he could afford to put 10,000 talents of silver into the king's treasury in order that his desire, his will, would be accomplished destroying and exterminating the Jewish people shows the vastness of his house, his estate, his wealth. And now, with judgment, we see that it did not go to his heirs. We'll see why in a moment. But rather, it went to Queen Esther. And here's the fact. God, in his providence, God in his power, God according to the goodness of his will, and through judgment, God can take what belongs to one and give to another. This is a godly redistribution. It is a promise that God makes that the ones who are faithful, the ones who trust, the ones who are meek, which means meek in the sense that trusting God, not taking matters into their own hands, but submitting themselves to the will of God, the word of God, and believing that God will order things properly. This is faith, and Esther displayed faith. And now this vast estate that belonged to wicked Haman, now the king, it says he gave to Esther the queen, and the house of Haman, this wicked one, the enemy of the Jewish people. We see that Esther inherited. The principle, when you submit to God, you will be blessed. You will see God giving the wicked gains of of those who were not people that belonged to him. God giving those wicked gains to his people. And it says, and to Mordecai, he came before the king. And Esther had declared what he is to her. Meaning that that he is her uncle, that they are of the same people of the race of the Jews. And the king saw this, he learned this as Mordecai came before the king. And it says that he did something. Once he found out that that Mordecai was her uncle, that he had trained her, that he had influenced her, that, that she was was raised by him. What did he do? It says in verse 2, And the king removed the reign, his reign, and this was the singlet reign, which represented the king's authority. Now, Mordecai demonstrated something. We've talked about this extensively. Mordecai was an individual that was always at the king's gate. He was there in that courtyard serving faithfully, preserving the kingdom and the king himself. We saw this with his report of this assassination plot. He was loyal, and he did it because it was the right thing. What the word of God, knowing the instructions of the commandments of God, Mordecai, was a faithful individual and a blessing to the king, and the king saw this, and therefore he took his reign, the king's signet reign, which he had removed from Haman, and he had given it to Mordecai. This is what we learn in verse 2, and we find that Esther she placed. To Mordecai, she placed Mordecai over the house of Haman. So now we see that Mordecai, and it's just going to get better and better for him. He was hated, but he was hated. Why? He was hated by Haman because Mordecai put God first. Mordecai would not bend the knee and bow to man. He was not going to even allow the threat of death to turn him away from acknowledging his God. That's what we learn in our call to worship from Psalm 100, that we should be public about our faith and we should be one who acknowledges that God, he is Lord and there is no other. And we demonstrate this not just with worship but in action. Mordecai did and when judgment came, remember how this chapter opens up. On that day, that judgment day, what happens? We see the wealth of Haman, the authority that the king entrusted to him that he utilized wickedly. Now all that When God's judgment came, all of that came to Mordecai, verse 3. Now, this was not simply about Mordecai and Esther gaining the wealth and the authority of Haman that he had secured for himself through deceit. No, we see that this is about justification. And why say justification is this there's going to be a revealing of truth. And truth and justification have a very important relationship. Now, when I speak about justification, I'm not speaking about it in a sense of forgiveness of sins and being declared righteous by the grace of God. That's one aspect of justification. But now, justification here is simply putting things in order according to the plans and the purposes of God. Now, what we learn, there's an important relationship between them. First, when I'm justified by faith, I experience God's forgiveness, I receive his righteousness, that positions me, that new condition, having been regenerated by faith, that brings about in me the opportunity To live according to the order of God. And this is what's going to be done. Mordecai is going to begin to set things in order. To bring about justice in the society against the attacks of the enemy. So we see in verse 3 that Esther, she continued. And she said before the king as she fell before his feet. So she's speaking, she continually is making known to the king revelation. And she does so once again in a humble way. It says here, lifne raglav. She, she fell in submissiveness before his feet. And she wept and she begged him. This is supplicated. She sought from him in a most humble way that he would remove the wickedness of Haman the Agagite and his thoughts, which he thought against the Jews. So she's saying here, yes, I've received Haman's estate. Yes, Haman has been put to death. Yes, Mordecai has has received that position of authority now that, that he's making decisions, but this is not. In its fulfillment, bring about my requests, my petition before you, because that edict to go out and to exterminate the Jewish people, has been put into force. It needs to be dealt with. And this is what she's going to speak of in this third verse. Haman's thought, his wicked plan to exterminate the Jewish people. So she comes before the king, and once again, look at verse 4. And the king, he extended to Esther this golden scepter. This, this, this signal of his grace, his favor upon her that he was receiving her. And Esther got up and she stood before the king. And she said, If concerning the king, it's good. Now, this is the second time when she's made a petition that she said this. If concerning the king, It's good. Now we learn once more a biblical truth. Esther, she's representing the people of Israel, the Jewish seed, we might say. And she's saying, I want to be a force for that which is good for the king. Now, not necessarily what the king thinks is good in and of himself, but she's saying, I want to behave in a way, this is my purpose, this is my objective. I want to be a blessing. I want to see good, and this word tov, what should come into our mind? The will of God. She wants to see the will of God be experienced by by her husband, by King Ahasuerus. So she says here, if concerning the king, it's good. And if I have found favor before him. Now, when she said it earlier, the order was was switched. And the purpose of this is to show a, a commitment to both. There's not an either or. She, if she's found favor, she's going to use that favor for that which is good. And the favor is based upon the fact that she wants the will of God for the king and subtly also for his empire, for his kingdom. For what's good for the empire will indeed be also good for the king himself. So she's wanting to bless, and blessings always involve helping someone, assisting someone, leading someone into the will of God. But look at the next part of this verse 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 5 she says ve kasher hadavar lifnei hamalech and this is the word for its kasher which is normally in english we use that term kosher now the term kosher in hebrew kasher has to do with that which is fitting that which is appropriate that which is in submissiveness to the intent of God. So once again, it's being underscored. If we missed it in the first part with not understanding the word good, we see it now. It's declared. It's an example of God's progressive revelation. God is confirming what good is, what she does when she finds favor. She wants to bring about what is fitting, what is appropriate, what is correct for the king so she says here once more middle of verse five and this thing what she wants to do if it's fitting if it's kosher before the king and good am i in his eyes now we know she's saying about herself being good because the word good is an adjective and it's feminine so it modifies esther So if I'm good in his eyes, if you see that I'm also connected to to the will of God for you. Now, this should cause the reader to think about something. God's will in regard to Ahasuerus and Hadassah, Queen Esther. And we know something. A wife is to be a helpmate to her husband. And I believe this is intrinsically related, being revealed to us in this passage. She's saying, I am good for you. Do you agree with that? Do you acknowledge that? Do you, do you perceive that? What I'm saying is good for you. It's fitting. It's appropriate. It's right. According to why God has placed me in this house, why I'm your queen. She is committed. She says, "If all of this is the case, that you find that that I'm good, that this thing is fitting, that I found favor in your eyes," she says, "Let there be written to restore or return the the letters. This is literally the documents that has to do with the intent of Haman, the son of." Hamata, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jewish people who are in all the providences of the king. So we see here that she wants something to take place. Now, the word lashiv, it means to to cause to come back. Now, we have a couple different ways of understanding it, and oftentimes it's not either this way or that way. But all of them can be to be right. And what I mean by that is this. The word, the simple meaning of the word lashiv, is to bring back. So there's these letters, these edicts, these documents that are going forth that the runners are taking to all of these countries within his empire. She's saying, if it's possible, let's, let's bring this back. But there's also another thought. And that is, some have already been delivered. And therefore, what she wants to do is to restore things so that this edict of Haman, his intent, does not come about. She wants to restore things back to what God intended. Now, again, this has significant revelation for us. Here's the problem. There are those who think, Well, because God's sovereign, do I believe in the sovereignty of God? Yes, I do. God is sovereign. The problem is that many people hear this and they understand it incorrectly. If God's sovereign, then everything that happens is his will. That is a false statement. As I've said many times to you, sin happens. Sin is never God's will. God's never behind sin. He is not part of it. He does not cause it. Now, can God use sin for his glory? God is free to use all things, but God is not connected to that sin. Let me give you an example Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar came to Israel, to Judah, to Jerusalem, and God used and don't miss miss this, Babylon, under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, he did not come to, to destroy Jerusalem, having also destroyed the temple, taking the people in exile in order to obey God. He was following his own evil desires, his own will. He wasn't a follower of God when he did that. And we see something. Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar suffered the consequence. God judged him for that sin, but God is free to use that in order to bring punishment, to reveal truth, but he's not the cause of it. So what are we learning here? Well, we're learning a very important point, and that is that God, he is going to move in order to bring a restoration. Why? Because sin is an attack, always sin is an attack on God's order, God's plans, His purposes, His will. And therefore, it's only when we submit, when we're concerned for the truth of God, when we're following the will of God, is there going to be a restoration. So Esther realizes she wants to be used. She is going to use this favor in order to impact and bring about a restoration for what God wants. And what's that? That Israel survives, that Israel's used to be a blessing. So look again. She says here at the end of, of verse five, let it be written to return the documents. That had the intent of Haman, his thought, this, this wicked one who, what he wrote was to destroy Labed to cause to perish. Many Bibles use the phrase Labed to exterminate the Jews, which are in every providence of the king. And then she continues verse six, for how, and it makes it personal. How am I able? And then she says, and, and I will look. How am I able? And how can I look on the evil? This shows that Haman's plan is just that evil, which is found with my people, meaning there's a wicked, evil plot that's now on my people. This edict, all these letters, these documents have gone out. There, in other words, there's a death sentence upon the Jewish people throughout this vast empire of King Ahasuerus. We talked about how large it is at the beginning in chapter 1, at the very beginning of our study of this book, and is going to be repeated in a moment. So we see, she says, how am I able? I can't tolerate that I should look upon the evil which has found its way to my people? And how am I able that I should look at the destruction of my my countrymen? Now, what she says here is those who share that, that same heritage. Now, learn something. There is a connection between this word, for a, a countryman, for a, a birth heritage, and a call. When we see this, we see some familiar terms in regard to Avraham. Avraham was going to, to be part of a people, a covenant people, that had a heritage, that had a call, and that was to be used as an instrument for God's blessing to enter into this world. This is what she's concerned about. It is not simply, I'm concerned that that my people are going to be exterminated. She understands that. Obviously, she does not want that, but it goes beyond that. She understands the heritage, the call, the birthright that God has given to Israel. And what that is going to do for the world, God's creation. It is going to bring about a change, and that change is a kingdom establishment. This is all seen in her words, her desires, what she's concerned about, verse 7. The king, Ahasuerus, he spoke to Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew. Now, again, Mordecai always called by that phrase, Mordecai the Jew. And the reason for that is not just to reveal his identity, but as well to say that Mordecai is someone who is committed to the purpose, that call, that heritage, that birthright that God has given to the Jewish people to be that instrument for the plans and the purposes of God. So Esther, she's the queen. Because of God's plan and Mordecai, the Jew, he's there as well because of God's plan. He's always been committed to the instructions, the commandments of God. And this has been seen in how he has raised Esther. So verse seven, the king, Ahasuerus, he spoke to Esther, the queen, and to Mordecai, the Jew. And what's the next word? He nay, behold. This is something important. This tells us to pay attention. He says, behold, the house of Haman has been given to Esther. And he, meaning Haman, him, they have hung upon the tree, those gallows, which struck forth, sent forth, stretched out his hand against the Jewish people. Now, what is Ahasuerus saying? He's giving assurance. He's just not giving a review of what's just happened. He's saying God is at work. Now, whether this is his intent or not, that's up for, for you and everyone to make that decision. But that's not important to me What? Ahasverosh realizes, or what he does not. What's important is the revelation to the reader from the words of the king, and the king is revealing to us God's at work. God has began to do something. He has placed judgment upon the wealth. That's where it all began. Haman used his wealth to put this plot of extermination into force. And now his wealth, it's come to Esther. And this wicked Haman, not only did he lose his wealth, but he has lost his life. He has been hung. And remember, hanging has to do with shame. The shame of Haman's wickedness has been been exposed. It's known. And the reader should see, God is at work. What's the implication? Very simply, what God has begun, it's always a good work. Everything that God does is good. What God has begun, he is going to bring to a conclusion. What Rosh is saying, again, whether he understands it or not, that's not important. It's whether you the reader, me the reader, if we understand it and gain this revelation. What the scripture is saying is God has already began to transfer the wealth, to reallocate, to redistribute according to his will. That God's provision has made its way to God's people and the shame of sinfulness that Haman expressed has been visited upon him it has been manifested to to others and the implication is God he's beginning he's going to carry it out he is going to fulfill what he has promised and that is our God is a God of deliverance he is going to bring about the fulfillment of of his plan. Now let's look at our last verse, verse eight. And you, now it's in the plural, they attend. You meaning Esther and Mordecai. It's very significant that we see that Ahashverosh is recognizing Esther or Hadassah and Mordecai together. Not in a a relationship similar to the king 's relationship with the king queen, but a relationship because they 're part of god 's covenant people. they share in the same call, and therefore he says you you both that 's the implication with the word atem, and you both write concerning the Jews. That means concerning this situation that they are in. As, as good in your eyes. Meaning this. He's giving them. Mordecai has the singlet ring and now he has the authority. The king saying, you write the implication in my name. The name of this empire. You write whatever is right, good, proper. Here again the word good, the will of God. You write what is God's will and make it law. You write what is good for the Jewish people in your eyes in the name of the king. And and it shall be sealed. Literally, you seal it, both of you, with the ring of the king. And then he says, for what is written, this, this, this decree, which is written in the name of the king and sealed sealed with the ring of the king, it's not going to be stopped. It's not going to, to be returned, and the implication is empty. It's going to be fulfilled. Now, we'll talk next week what that edict that Esther and Mordecai is going to write, but it's going to show something. I want to get a little bit ahead of myself, give you a preview of something very important. And I want to emphasize it now, so when we deal with it next week and the week after, we can be prepared to understand it correctly, and that's this. We have two edicts going forth. Remember something. There's a hint here, and that is an edict that goes out from the king according to the law, and we saw this earlier in our study, according to the law of the, the Medes and the Persians. Once the king gives a decree, it, it can't be, be removed. So he's saying, you have to give a conflicting edict. You have to say something that puts a a, in opposition to the first one. Now, why is that important? What am I wanting to emphasize? The people, all the people in the providence, they are going to have to, and hear this, they are going to have to make a decision, a real decision. What is the right thing to do? Now, if you believe a false theology, they don't have the ability to make the right decision because they have not been regenerated. They are not a new creation. They are dead in their sins and their trespasses. Hear this carefully. When the Bible says that one is dead in sin and trespass, that's true. We are dead spiritually, meaning we have no relationship with God. We don't have a Covenantal, that new covenantal relationship with God. We're not redeemed, we're not saved. But God created all humanity, Jew and Gentile alike, all humanity. We look in the new covenant. He created us with a spoon that is with a conscience. And that conscience can work enough to give us a degree of understanding and discernment. The people are going to be given a choice, whether they agree with the edict of Haman to exterminate the Jewish people or or to side with the Jewish people, be defenders, supporters to be with them. A very important decision. And this is the same decision that's going to happen in the last days under the leadership of the the one who Haman is a prototype of, I'm speaking about, under the days of, of the Antichrist. He's going to eventually, when Israel rejects him as God, rejects him as the Messiah, he is going to want to, at that time, bring about the annihilation, the extermination of the Jewish people. And every person who's alive at that time is going to have to make a decision. What to do? Who to side with? The people of God or the wicked edict of the Antichrist? So this book of Esther has so much significance for us in understanding it gives us principles to prepare us for the last days. Well, I'll close with that until next week, and we continue on in the second part of this very significant chapter, chapter 8. Until then, may God bless you. Shalom from Israel.